Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. Really excited to get you another fantastic show here today. Um, I got first time guest Lisa Jaster here. We got Brady joining us again. Dutch is back. I am stoked. Well, I am stoked, y'all should be stoked too. Hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, do all that good stuff. That way you get your email in the morning whenever we go live, which is of course every day. Now, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions at all, by all means, put them up in the comment section. We will engage them directly, kind of like this one. Salty, good day all. Chris, Winterstorm, everybody. Good to see you, Salty. Um, Thanks. Now, we are going to be talking cultural traditions today, but before we get into the conversation, I want to make sure we get an intro. Lisa, I'm going to start with you. You want to give us 15 seconds on who you are, where you come from, all that stuff, and then we'll work our way down the table. All right, first time on, first intro. So um, my name is Lisa Joster. I am a reserve lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, currently working out of Norfolk, Virginia for that purpose. Um, My day job is leadership consultant, keynote speaker. Uh, Why people know me is I'm one of the first three women to graduate from Army Ranger School in 2015. I did it at the age of 37, um, also as a reservist and that's about all I think you need to know about me to kick it off, if that's okay, Chance. I like it. No, that's good. 15 seconds on the mark. I like it. Brady, hit us up. I'm Brady Pasola, the Gray Man Project here on Instagram. I teach uh, being a warrior philosopher using Stoic philosophy. Um, I was a Marine for eight years, and I've taught survival, and I am an executive protection agent here in SoCal. Outstanding. Dutch, what do you got? Dutch Chris Moyer, uh, Dutch Chris Moyer Actual is on the IG handle. I work currently at the Sawmill Training Complex in Lawrence, South Carolina. I am a 31-year Army veteran, now teach rifle, pistol, close quarter battle, and everything under the banner of leadership. Bam. We got quite the panel today. I am very excited to get this conversation started. So uh, I'm going to give a quick definition on cultural tradition here. So Cultural traditions are practices and beliefs that identify a person's heritage and in and are ingrained in them since birth. They include practices related to religion, holiday, food, dance, clothing, language, music, crafts, and pastimes. A tradition is a belief or behavior passed down within a group or society with symbolic meaning or special significance with origins in the past. Now, that being said, there's lots of ways to break this down. So I'm going to start with Lisa. I'm going to throw you right on the fire. First thing, when I th- when I say cultural traditions, what are your first thoughts? I think um, because Halloween is coming up, I think part of the cultural decision uh, discussion has to be with cultural appropriation and how we see each other. And um, maybe that's a little too hot of a topic, but I think of it as really, really important that we understand other cultures and we understand how to respect them. Uh, as well as being in the military and former um, former active duty, the concept of cultures is really, really important as a leader to understand how your soldiers think and how they work. Um, so combining those two topics, I think you need to need and understand them, but you also have to be okay when people are so appreciative of, the, of your culture that they want to adopt it into their own. Mm, that is a great way to start. I like it. Dutch? How about yourself? What are your first thoughts? I got to follow that. So, um, you know, as, as I think as we live in the West, so I think, wow, I'm going to get people angry with me. It's okay, though. I'm all right with it. <clears throat> the The American 
mantra is e pluribus unum out of many one uh cultural appropriation we need to i think we need to stop being really wrapped up with what we used to be and what we are now a good friend of mine says i don't care whose name is on the back of the jersey it's the name on the front of the jersey that makes the difference especially in a well-oiled machine of some sort of combat unit or any kind of any kind of real corporate element. You need to be a team, right? Leadership starts there. We need to be a team. So, you know, instead of paying attention so much to the name on the back of the jersey, we need to start paying more attention to the name on the front of the jersey. Bam. Brady, what are you thinking? Uh, well, uh, in three dimensions, actually. Uh, first dimension is philosophic, second dimension, anthropological, and third dimension, tactical. I think cultural traditions, um, if we're able to use a, a, a philosophic um, a variable in being able to understand our own uh, cultural traditions and the biases that come with that, we're able to be a bit more objective when studying other cultural traditions to understand them to help us become more uh, technically effective and efficient um, when we're out and about and causing hate and discontent. I like it. Sean, first thoughts? Sorry, I went with the uh, new hack on Control-D and it just uh, completely bonkified my computer, uh, taking off mute, Control-D. Anyway, um, my first thoughts haven't gone any further than listening to the guests and just putting some of the their thoughts into my initial thought, which was formed when you started off with your definition chance. And it wasn't the entire definition that stood out to me. It was a, a simple portion of that, which was from birth. And I think that part of the problem as I listen to the guests to some degree is that some people fixate on the idea that your culture is set at birth and then that's it, you're locked in. As if your birth defined you or who you were born to defined you or where you were born defined you to such a degree that you're locked in. Like freaking hand Solo in some, some sort of, you know, <laughs> some sort of cast model who's frozen in time. Uh, and I think that uh, that's a bit of a problem with society nowadays, the inability to open the mind to how flexible we are with our traditions. Because traditions are things that we should absorb throughout our lives, that we should gain throughout our lives, rather than fixate on a tradition and then be less inclined to listen to others and how their traditions, how their cultural norms can enrich our lives. In other words, at birth, locking yourself into a one-dimensional mindset in respect to culture. So that's what stood out for me. And then the guests kind of, I don't think they reinforced it, but certainly we're on the same page. Can I jump in here? Absolutely. All right. So, um, Sean, I like what you said about um, like not being locked in. And I think we all hit different um, stages of our lives. Right. And so I think about who I was as a human before I went to before I joined the military. I danced like ballet. Um, so I danced with the Milwaukee Ballet and did all my summer camps like that's that was my life. Then I got I traded toe shoes for combat boots. Then I got married and I married a deep Texas family that owns a ranch. Like 
My life is very much hunting, fishing, living off grid. I have a bow range in my backyard. I had never even picked up a rifle until I went to basic training. So, you know, not even talking about the deep seated cultural differences you get based on the communities you hang out with, but just being a teen to the military environment, to being married, to living in Texas, my cultural and my traditions have changed exorbitantly over the last 46 years of my existence. Absolutely. Brady, you got any thoughts? Um, now she hit it right the <clears throat> nail on the head right there. You know, growing up in northern Minnesota, I come from a different culture, right? It's taken me a lot of years to go ahead and drop that accent, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of years to drop that northern Minnesota accent. Grew up on a farm and then on Iron Range, which is a whole different, you know, it's mining community. Then joined the Marine Corps, culture shock. Then I got sent to Hawaii, learned that culture. Um, and then I went from one MOS to another uh, hated MOS and understood that culture. Um, so then when it comes to cultural tradition, traditions, I think, um, well, I don't know. I, I think that term tradition, right, kind of holds people on to, to some, some sort of nostalgic idea of I need to maintain where I come from without uh, changing. And I think that's what's happening a lot in our society right now. Everyone's got to be a certain way. Everyone's expected to be a certain way based off uh, their gender, sex, ideology, politics, all that stuff. And so when you step outside that um, that cultural tradition, you become villainized, victimized, or you become a social pariah, or you suffer, um, I hate to use the term cancel culture, I call it social exile, which in the history of our humanity, uh, coming from... Um, you guys know I study I, I study and teach a lot of Stoic philosophy, and a lot of Stoics back in the day uh, were always exiled. And they they'd um, they take off the wrong person, and they're like, go to a different island, or slit your wrists. Um, but when it comes to traditions, I think we need to, um, you know, break them, open ourselves up to them, and start learning and understanding um, other cultures. And I think this whole term of cultural appropriation. Uh, I think is just a, a fallacy of a term because it's it restricts people's um, desire to understand and appreciate and know other cultures. Like I love uh, when I was in college, I got my ass, uh, my butt handed to me. Apologize, Sean Chance. Uh, I got my butt handed to me uh, one semester. I took algebra, which as a Marine, you guys know, unless I'm counting crayons I have left for the rest of the day, I'm getting my butt kicked. But I took cultural anthropology, um, physiological, anthropo biological anthropology, and philosophy. And mentally, I was getting my butt kicked. Everybody was learning stuff. And, and when it comes to the biological anthropology and cultural anthropology, it opens your eyes to how much we as human beings have evolved um, morphologically from understanding cultural. Like, for instance, we look at... Um, Homo Neanderthalensis and anatomically modern humans, right, existed around the same time. Uh, Neanderthals were were morphologically adapted to the cold and to the uh, ice age, and anatomically modern humans who coexisted along Neanderthals, as our genetics often, uh, obviously prove, uh, we adapted culturally. And as the ice age went away, um, Neanderthals started decreasing their population because morphologically, 
they adapted to the cold because they had dense muscles, um, very dense bones to carry those muscles. And when you have dense muscles, you need an extraordinary amount of protein. And when your protein source is following the shrinkage of the ice and the cold, um, and you can't travel with them, or that your diet is 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 being killed off because of the actual climate change at the time, you tend to die out. Whereas our anatomy modern uh, ancestors survived culturally. They were able to be more culturally adapt to their, their environment. They're eating plants. They are um, creating bone needles in which to sew uh, form-fitting pants. So I think when it comes to cultural traditions, we must uh, open ourselves up and stop allowing ourselves um, to be restricted by people who virtue signal this idea of cultural appropriation and go deeper and farther into culture, both, uh, you know, biologically and, um, and uh, uh, culturally. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's funny that you, you mentioned all this because <clears throat> you told me that you were tired when we first started and you were going to have a hard time coming, coming to play, but I think you're kicking butt right now. It's a lot of, a lot of verbiage. <laughs> it's fantastic. Dutch, you got any thoughts on that? No, it's awesome. <clears throat> I totally agree with uh, what, 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 and let's put quotes around the, the elites or the people that think you should know better or those society members that say that you're appropriating somebody else's culture because you like a taco or because you want to wear a sombrero to keep the sun off your head or whatever it might be. And I'm not trying to be ridiculous about it either. I think a lot of these things are designed to keep you and I and everybody else divided and so control, and this is going to sound like conspiratorial, conspiratorial whack job stuff, but it's really designed to, to keep us being a victim or being part of a different group. I, I'd much rather uh, believe, like Brady talked about, knowing where you came from, knowing where other people came from, and then understanding what tools you can use to make your life better, how they made it better, how we can come together. Again, if, if you use the American mantra of e pluribus unum, I don't know if the Canadians have the same kind of thing. I hope they do, but I think uh, a lot of the, the ideas of the West are rapidly deteriorating. And we see, uh, you know, to me, you know, again, I, li I live in a biblical world view and there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, let's all get together and treat each other with respect. And, you know, you, most of us want to live in a society where we can be free, be left alone, do well, trade things, buy things, make your life better, have security, and then uh, and walk in, in whatever, you know, whatever path you do, but be left alone without hurting someone. And so, you know, that's keys to me anyways. Absolutely. Sean, you got any thoughts? back to you i do yeah uh I, you know what i love conversations like this i I never knew where it was gonna go uh and then uh, lisa came in not spicy just with a cool cool topic you know a cool thought process on cultural appropriation and so what i can see here is we've all got our opinions and they're a little bit different but they're kind of the same and it's all good what i thought of when lisa mentioned uh, uh cultural appropriation is <clears throat> a video that i watched not too long ago and uh, it was some character on, you know, the Instagrams or YouTubes or whatever. And uh, what he'd done is he, he was in um, Japan and uh, he was wearing full tilt uh, traditional garb and uh, playing out a role, uh, historically as it were almost, to try to represent sort of an extreme 
of we'll call it cultural appropriation. And so he's, he was sauntering around and, and he was asking locals over there, uh, you know, are you offended? And they all thought it was amusing that he would even ask that question, like, why would I be offended? I think it's kind of cool what you're doing. Now I'm paraphrasing and I'm kind of setting a very simplistic stage to make this point that um, there's there's almost we've got to look at the extremes of things, I feel. At least that's how I run my life. I look at the extremes to better understand the totality of the situation. And so at one end of the extreme, we've got maybe a, a group that is super offended by the fact that maybe my flip-flops look like something that a geisha would wear. And so now, now I'm a bad guy. And then we've got the other extreme where if I wore flip-flops that look like geisha shoes as I saunter through Japan, which I'll be doing next month, um, someone might look at that and think, bro, that's crazy. What are you even doing right now? And have a bit of fun with it. And so where, where do we all fit in the middle of the someone's opinion over here versus someone's opinion over there? Well, I like looking at both opinions so that I can understand more about myself. And that's almost why we chose Malaysia. Uh, we're going to spend a month in Malaysia, uh, a month in Australia, a month in Japan uh, for 45 days out on the road. Freaking hunting culture. And so there's no way I'm going to be wearing uh, full garb when I'm in Japan as if I'm a local, uh, unless when I'm on the Nakasendo Trail, I, I jump into my ninja outfit and pretend that I'm a freaking ninja. So that might happen. But uh, hopefully nobody will be offended by that because they know my shtick. They know who I am. And by shtick, I mean Sean. Authentic Sean, not fake Sean. Not Sean who wants to throw on a ninja outfit to flare out to the interweb to get some clicks. Everyone knows my jam. I am who I am. And my who I am as being created through many years of absorbing cultures, not appropriating them, but absorbing them through trying to understand them, trying to incorporate them into my life, because I think it's cool. I think it's... In a live chat yesterday, someone said um, said to me from, I think they're in Tanzania, a happy birthday, and, and he said, Zebo. And I was like, Zebo, what, what are you even talking? Z hey, boy, what, what did you misspell hello? And he said, no, that's what Zulus say when they're greeting someone. I was like, dude, I haven't hung out with any Zulus, but maybe I should. And so I think that's the thing of it, man. Like, I can't get that out of my head now from yesterday. And that's what we do, man. As customs in this conversation right now, we're throwing little hooks into each other's brains and receiving hooks into each other's brains through all of the culture that we've all been exposed to through our lives. When Lisa was describing, she, you know, she had to kind of recalibrate to, for a move to Texas and live in Texas. I get it. Can you imagine? I'm a Canadian driving down to Texas to go there for two years because my wife had a engineering job that she had to go down to and live in Texas for two years. As I was driving to, as we were driving to Texas, our whole family, I was just watching the temperature on the dashboard creep up 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 and right about the time it hit maybe just shy of 100 degrees fahrenheit i looked at my wife and said are we driving to hell where's the gates that we're going to drive through right now do they even mountain bike here what the hell is going on why are we going to texas because i mean coming from california where i just raced a world championship and driving towards like houston and sugarland area like it's not inspiring I mean, I wasn't stoked. I'd just come out of the mountains of Canada to, well, the gates of hell in my mind at that moment. But guess what? 
I freaking love Texas, man, after living there for two years. I've got some great friends down there. I love the barbecue. I love the uh, characters that are down there. I freaking raced my butt off down in Texas for two years. All kinds of 12 hours and 8 hours and 24 hour solo races. Made a ton of friends in the community. Made a ton of friends outside of the community. So if I would have, as we were driving to Texas and I looked at my wife and said, gates of hell. If that would have been the end of my ability to absorb a culture, what a freaking loser am I? So you got to keep a growth mindset. You got to like, you got to step into your day prepared to be taught something by the culture that stands in front of you. And more often than not, I think what people will do is they'll look at the person in front of them and think, what am I going to learn from this dude? He's me. He's the same height. He's still, he's as goofy looking as I am. He's not going to teach me anything. But if it's someone who's radically different looking, taller, shorter, different color from another country, went to school in a different place, that kind of gets our attention a little bit. And so I think there's an interesting twist on cultural appropriation because we'll ignore the people in front of us sometimes that look like us or think like us or talk like us. But someone will get our attention if they're quite different. But then it's what we do with that thought of, oh, they're quite different. Whether we write them off or whether they just freaking namaste the moment and think, okay, I'm going to pay attention and see what's up with this person. Maybe I can absorb some culture. That's just my thoughts. I really like that. <clears throat> and now I have a question directly on that. And I want to hit you guys with this in a second. But uh, I just have a couple of comments I want to touch on real fast before we move forward with this. So Salty jumps in here and he says, I think the idea of traditions is built through the environment you stand in and what it, what within, what is it, what is within reach to you? The problem only rises when you anchor yourself in one place without making room uh, or growth for growth and education from the world as you travel it. If you fail to travel and experience things, you become stagnant because you're anchored in those ideas, which I think is... <clears throat> Accurate. And then uh, Tanya jumps in here and says, uh, it's, it's more reasonable nowadays, but cultural appropriation equals when an outgroup claims and profits off of a subculture's symbols without giving back. And it may be a clunk clunky metaphor, but stolen valor can explain it. I think that's a great allegory, Tanya. I really do like that one a lot. <clears throat> and so my question on this is, that, you know, was, as a, we were... that was a darn fine analogy, actually. Right? Darn. <laughs> that's, I, think, I don't think it's clunky at all. Now I've got to think about that one for a second. <laughs> Uh, so here's my question to y'all is that, you know, we have, we, as humans, we engage in tribalism and, you know, group together on a regular basis. And we utilize this in the military all the time into, in order to, um, you know, compete against another unit, right? You, you try to create yourselves to be slightly different than people that are exactly the same, but you're, you're slightly different, right? The, the big red one versus second Marine division, right? Or the, the, uh, first battalion versus second battalion. You guys are basically the same, but you're not. And you're going to push that envelope to try to be better than the other one. And so my question is, do you think that it's more about, in terms of appropriation, do you think it's more about just the authenticity of it? So to Sean's point, you said, you know, if you were walking around in Tokyo, full kimono, Obi, everything had the, all the garb, and you were trying your best to be authentic in that moment. That's not really appropriation. But if you're not, if you're trying to sell that as another object, that would be appropriation in my mind. But I want to get your guys' thoughts. So, Brady, go for it. 
All right, so I think two things need to be considered when it comes to the consideration cultural appropriation. Um, uh, actually, three things. Um, you know, two and then something else. Um, context and intent. See, the problem with our society when it comes to looking for offense or finding offense, becoming offended, or, you know, is what is the context in which someone had done something and what was the intent behind it? You know, and a lot of people say, well, their intent was this. Well, how can you assume someone's intent without actually being inside their brain? Uh, oftentimes, look, I'm a, I try to be a man of logic as much as possible. You guys know this. And when we're looking at something, when we look at the idea of objectivity versus emotion or rationality versus emotion, a lot of times when people get upset about uh, cultural appropriation, they're finding an emotional cue. They're trying to justify or try and push upon an idea of morality based off their feelings and emotions versus objectivity and understanding, okay, what's what's happening here? I remember years ago, two women in Portland uh, were basically canceled because they set up a food truck um, serving Mexican food, but they were white. And so because they were white, they were told they can't run their business, they can't tell this, they can't do that, so on and so forth. It's like, well... Someone might say, well, maybe property prop, uh, profiting off um, a culture. Okay, well, you have to look at that and go, okay, did they steal someone's um, food truck and just take over, start serving Mexican food? Or are these two gals who really love Mexican food, who really have an awesome like key into it, know the ingredients, love it, they, were they raised by someone that was, you know, uh, Hispanic background? They just love serving, they love the food, and they just want to want to serve it. How is that taking away from someone or a culture and and appropriating it or or profiting off someone? Are they supposed to donate to a certain amount to, to Hispanic heritage? So there's a lot of questions there. What is the context in which something is happening? And what is the intent behind it? And then thirdly, as we look at the, this, this idea of tribalism, it's anthropological. If you look at the uh, human nature, human history, we are inherently tribal creatures because our early ancestors were always tribal. And it was... Our ability to agree with the tribe, be competitive with our own tribe, ensure the fitness of the species. And when I talk about fitness, I'm not talking about running, jogging, hiking. I'm talking about in terms of how that tribe was able to succeed. And a tribe can't succeed without everyone on board inside that tribe um, supporting one another and then competing against another tribe, whether it's for resources or reproduction or I don't like you, I don't like your face, and I'm going to kill you because because I don't like you. Um, I'm going to create these sharp objects and throw them at you, right? So we humans are inherently tribal, and that carries forward within our politics, our religions, our race, our ethnicities. Um, and so that's exasperated right now with social media, um, news media, things like that. We they, they like creating tribalism, more tribalism, because the more tribalism there exists, the more emotions run rampant. And when you can elicit an emotional response, you get people to do what you want to, like share, comment, like, and spark algorithms within uh, social media to get what you want. So I think there's so many multiple facets of, of how um, we look at our cultural traditions versus how are we being played by our cultural traditions and how is that being used against us as a society and how it's being used in the favor to spread um, more um, divisiveness um, within, you know, 
uh, our politics and our media and with the people that exist here uh, in the States. Yeah, absolutely. Dodge, you got some thoughts? Of course I do. Um, but Brady's speaking my love language right there. This is, it's hard for me to even jump any farther into it, but we've always been tribal. You live here, you live there. I need a water source. I need a mountain. I need a sh I need shade tree. I need fertile ground. So either they take it, uh, this is the human conquest genome, right? or we negotiate for it, uh, trade, I'll trade these wicker baskets for those fish, et cetera, whatever it might be, right? From the beginnings of, of the world, it, it's happened all throughout history, no matter <clears throat> how long you believe that history might be. Uh, there will always be tribal issues, tribal conquests. And I, and I really dig what Brady said about this. You know, it was, I just saw this the other day uh, from a trusted agent uh, with these algorithm stuff. And, and Brady started touching on some of this uh, by way of means of control or however these people want to do it for you. So it was harder uh, on this particular algorithm. It was much more difficult to do a smiley emoji or a thumbs up than it was an angry emoji or a thumbs down. So those, it, I, I don't know how that worked exactly because I'm not a professor and nor do I pretend to be one, uh, but the, the, these things are happening and uh, they are quite disturbing. Can we get back down to the roots of it, right? The roots of culture itself, you know, instead of appropriating, again, like Sean mentioned, let's absorb and learn from these cultures to see what's going on. You know, you go back to the Japanese thing. So, you know, Sean or me, white guy, walking around in Tokyo or Fuji or wherever um, in a full traditional thing. You know, I bet you 98, 99% of the people who saw us wouldn't give a rat's behind. They wouldn't even care. They wouldn't think much of it. They'd say, hey, check it out, Guy Jin. And he's hanging out in, in Japanese clothing because most of the Japanese today that walk around these cities aren't wearing those clothings either. And most of them don't even remember how it was back in the, the feudal times of Japan. So, you know, could, could I bring up a point on the, um, on the Japanese, if we do look at Japanese, they are inherently what? Very polite. And they will not tell you if they are offended. So it's one of those things like, are they offended and being polite and not telling you because you are a foreigner? And they, so that's one of those things too. If you look at the cultural tradition of, of Japanese, they will allow you to save face. They're all about saving face and they're all about ensuring that your feelings are protected. Um, and they will, they will, um, they will often go out of their way, uh, sacrifice their feelings to ensure hospitality and accommodation. So it's one of those things too. It's like, they may not, they may not say they're being offended, right? Well, in that video that you're talking about, Sean, um, is it because they are truly not offended or because their cultural tradition is to be extremely polite and not, and not, um, and not say anything about it. Or not using the, not using the Japanese thing in particular, but I've seen this experiment done before, you know, white guy wears sombrero and whatever in, in Mexican community. Right. And nobody cares. Nobody even cares. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting. And I'm just using that as an example. For sure. Lisa, you got some thoughts? Well, yeah. So, so Dutch is talking about the thumbs up versus the thumbs down, right? We want to be negative, but whether you're going to the um, Japanese example, uh, and that's actually a culture I get to, I've 
my first backpacking trip was to Fukuoka. So So when I walked around in Japan, I actually tried to use my Japanese that I took from a local university when I was in high school five years earlier. And if the people could pick me up and squeeze me, they would. I mean, it was the most emotion I saw anywhere in the country because people want you to remember them and who they are. So one of the things I think our conversation has gone a very interesting way where we've separated culture from traditions. And if you go back to combining them, remembering traditions is also understanding culture. And we have, we've pushed away from that. We've said, well, our old society was wrong or bad. Well, there was things in that society that were good. And it's it's more prevalent in Asia because you do have such a, uh, a rapid change from grandparent generation to the 40s, the 40s, like the people who are in the mid 40s, that change, the 80 year olds to the 40 year olds was huge. That's when clothing changed. That, that's when um, Asia became more global. So we can actually watch that change. And part of wanting to lose your culture and become more global is throwing away your traditions. But I don't know if you have any Muslim friends, but Eid is an awesome day. If you can get yourself invited to a dinner, which is uh, the, the celebration after um, words, help me, not enough ketones. Yeah, after the long fast. What is it? Ramadan. Ramadan. Thank you. Yes. Eid after Ramadan. If you can get yourself invited to an Eid dinner, like that is a tradition that every single culture needs to have. I mean, that is fantastic. But those traditions, those cultural traditions are also a great anchor, even if it's um, your pulled out of your tribe. I mean, Sean, spending 45 days overseas, if you don't allow yourself to be pulled into those cultures, you're going to feel lonely. I mean, it's going to be hard because whether you think of us as tribal or you think of us as pack animals, like my husband's been traveling for seven days and I was like, hey, daughter, you have to sleep in my bed because this is this is what I am. I'm a, I'm a pack animal. I want to be with humans and not just any humans, but humans that care about me and humans I care about. And, you know, you started this chance with talking about um, the military tribalism. I was never stationed at Fort Campbell, but I deployed with 3187. I started with a different unit, ended with a different unit, but the bulk of my time in Kandahar, Afghanistan, back in 2002 was with 3187. You better believe I wear the 101st combat patch. Um, I have a daughter named Tori. Like I, I drank the damn Kool-Aid and, and yeah, that's part of the community and we're in chat groups and we've stayed connected for 21 years with people that I knew for what, nine months in a combat zone and that's it. So yeah, tribalism is, is awesome, but we also need to talk about the fact that culture and traditions are tied together. And the more some of these new wave people are coming in and wanting change and to forget about um, hey, you can't do cultural appropriation. You can't dress like Pocahontas. My daughter wouldn't know who Pocahontas was if she didn't study him, study her, wear a Halloween costume. She's been, you know, the queen of the Nile. She's been a, a bunch of uh, Athena. She has appropriated probably 10 different princesses in the 11 years of her life, as she should, because she knows the history. She appreciates them. And she's like, damn, this lady was a bad motor scooter to keep this PG. 
I like that. A bad motor scooter. I love that. I'm a mom. <laughs> Sean, obviously, obviously, Lisa, you're a horrible person and you let your <laughs> your more than white daughter do all kinds of horrible things to the Greeks, the Egyptians, and the indigenous people of America. Yeah. So God bless you for all that. Yeah. Just kidding, obviously. So how dare you? <laughs> so uh there's a lot of things going on there, and holy moly, we could cherry pick just one of the probably dozen sort of slices of the conversation that we could go in various directions. So I'll try to mm, chain a few things together. First things first, tribalism. Interestingly enough, a guy uh, hit me with this a little while ago and he said, uh, I didn't really know him, uh, but he knew me apparently. And he said, uh, bro, I'm really strong on tribalism. And I said, oh yeah, okay, cool. And, uh, and he said, and you? And I said, yeah, I suppose I'm tribal. And he said, are you tribal? And I said, yeah, okay, I'm tribal. But you know what? What was the point in having the conversation any further than that? Because my definition of tribal, I knew instantly it was different than his definition of tribal. Because here's my deal on tribalism. I don't mind being part of a tribe, but I ain't in just one. And that's super important, man. You got to be in a few to get some context, to understand what the edges are. But more importantly, not to even understand all of the tribes that I'm in, to understand myself through the tribes. And so how do you understand yourself if you're only studying yourself one dimensionally? You've got to broaden your scope on which tribes you hang out in. And like, okay, maybe I'm in a warrior uh, tribe at some point in my life. I've also been in nerd tribes. Now, granted, Lisa, I haven't done any D&D recently, but, uh, or uh, Dungeons and Dragons. But um, what I have done is a whole pile of nerdery in my life. And then a whole bunch of other things. And so my perspective on tribalism is that I won't engage with a tribe if I have to be blind to the outsides of the tribe. I like an open mind, man. And if someone in my tribe says something that's dumb, here's what I do. Dude, that was dumb. Because I'm an independent thinker in that tribe. I, I never will ever adopt groupthink doesn't matter if it's two of us in a tribe, a million of us in a tribe. I'm my own person within a tribe. And my job within the tribe is to support the tribe, but not become the tribe. And that's super freaking critical. I, I mean, I don't want to gloss over that. Support the tribe, but don't become the tribe. Because once you become the tribe, you lose perspective. You forget who you are within the tribe. So now to push forward in time, we used to have tribes. We still do, I guess. Now we're in present day where tribes aren't as important as they used to be. Because guess what? Here in North America is the example. Um, when's the last time y'all went out and uh, killed a saber-toothed tiger and put it over a campfire? Uh, no one. No one has done that. Because you know what? You're getting paid. You got money in the bank. You know where the food is. It's just around the corner. You eat there every, every afternoon. It's all laid out for you, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Forget about all of the tribes in the world. You could just float around the world for the rest of your life in no tribes, and you'd be just fine. But here's what happens in today's society. At one point, tribes used to bang each other over side of the head and steal a saber-toothed tiger. We don't have that anymore. But what we do do is still compete for resources, even if we don't need them. No one's freaking going hungry on this panel this afternoon. We'll all be just fine. But yet somehow, as individuals, we want to compete against the tribe. 
that's across the street from us that we don't even understand. And we don't even know why we want to compete with them. We just want to compete. And sometimes it's healthy and sometimes it's not. And so sometimes we're clubbing someone across the, across the street, upside the head for no good reason other than it's in us. And it's for us to understand that it's in us and shut that grid down or more correctly, calibrate it appropriately to the moment in the sense of competitive tribalism. Sometimes it's absolutely not needed. And sometimes it's needed more than most people have it within them. So it's for us to figure that uh, calibration moment out on how competitive we are as a tribal beast, for lack of a better term. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Brady, what do you got? Uh, one of my favorite uh, observations of tribalism, and Dutch, you've probably seen it too, and you'll probably laugh, is the shooting community. When people go from instructor to instructor, whether it's Pincus or Dutch or Structure Zero or all these different ones, you always get those students in those shooting classes. And I was a fire instructor for four and a half years, and that in 25 cents would give you a cup of coffee, right? But it's always fun. It's like, well, Dutch taught me this way, and this seems the right way because, oh, Delta Force or SEAL or Ranger. So you'll see it a lot in the shooting community, which is which is hilarious to me. Because if you pay so much for like a course, you pay a thousand dollars for an awesome weekend course, you don't want someone else telling you that that thousand dollars went to waste because what this person is teaching is different from that person. And they'll often use this, this tribal mentality of like, well, I'm team Dutch or I'm team Pincus or I'm team, uh, what's his name? Uh, Vickers or I'm team this or yeah, whatever. Plenty of mother, man. Plenty of mother. <laughs> There's so much. It's so funny. And, and I think you've seen it probably a hundred times Dutch where it's like, well, this person taught that way. That's great. That worked this way. This is an, an, a new way. But when it comes to uh, cultural traditions, I think the branch I service, uh, the branch I served in is probably the worst. And almost to a point we're called a cult, the Marine Corps. Right. And and we are so tribal. And so but even within ourselves, within the military communities, you know, whether it's infantry, whether it's radio, whether it's military police, whether it's recon, MSAB, or in the army side, you know, whether it's ground pounders, whether it's conventional, unconventional, ranger, so on and so forth. If we go back on track to that and look at how interesting uh, from an anthropological uh, view that the cultural traditions change, right? So when I got recalled in the Marine Corps, I was a radio operator with artillery for the first four years of my, my career. Um, I Humped around a radio. Uh, we were in Humvees. You know, we had our own mindset. You know, even on comp platoon, we were cocky. We were the fastest runners of the platoon or of the of the battery. We we were awesome. We liked what we did. And so I got out, and then I got recalled. And they made me a base MP at Camp Pendleton. I was like, Why would you recall? I want to go back to being a radio whopper. I think there's people who need to get killed with a radio and some calls for fire and and need help. So. And I got there, and everyone knows MPs get such a, a such a terrible rap in the in, in the military because they're considered blue falcons. Um, and for those who don't know what a blue falcon is, it's a you never mind. You Google it because there's no articulate way for me putting it without sounding you know without Sean or, or Chance getting mad at me. So, but they're considered blue falcons because they are arresting our our own. They're, they're getting into trouble on our own, right? Now, 
I went as an anthropologist to 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 look and see how this culture was. MPs are a whole different culture, and you have to think of uh, when I was looking at MPs, they sit in a car all day, and anytime they make contact with somebody, it's because one of our own brothers has done something wrong. Whether they've hit their spouse, they've got a DUI, they've been speeding. So every day, all day long, those MPs, every Marine. They contact. They come into contact with. They come into contact because that marine um, did something wrong. They violated the, the honor, the courage, and commitment. Right. And so I was looking at that. I was like, well, no wonder why you see the rest of the Marine Corps as the enemy, because every person you come in contact with has done something wrong, and so you lose faith. And so there's a whole different culture there. I mean, you go, you, you get up in the morning, you go to, you go to, uh, you sit in a room. And the uh, watch commander tells you about what happened last night. All right, last night there was four DUIs, uh, five Marines got busted for drugs, uh, there was one for prostitution, uh, three guys beat their wives to a pulp, right? And so all they hear is negative stuff. And then they get their car all morning with that negative mindset of like, every person I come across is inherently a threat. And so if you look at that culture, you go, oh, I understand. I understand why this culture is the way it is. And then you have to teach them why we look at them as blue falcons, because every time, you know, we don't like MPs, you know, uh, it's because, oh, you're trying to get me in trouble. Well, yeah, fair enough. I understand it. So if we look at the endemic culture of, of the military, it's, it's, it's such a fun thing to look at because even within the soft communities, like, look, I'll see another Marine out in town. I'd be like, brother. And then he's like, what'd you do? I was like, I was a pogue. I was a radio operator. I didn't do a damn thing. I was like, what did you do? I was force recon. Force recon has a whole different culture. If another force recon guy comes in, he's going to be like, I'm going to talk to this guy. See you later, jerk off. You know, and he's going to, not really, obviously, but you know, there's going to be a different conversation. There's going to be a different feeling. There's going to be a different way of, um, of, of, of their brotherhood versus ours. Even though we're Marines, we're brothers. That brotherhood's going to be different because they have different cultural traditions that, that go way back. The recon traditions or the raider traditions or Delta traditions or SEAL traditions. So it, I think it's even fun inside the military looking at the different cultural traditions. But even then, what's even more fun just down to the regular infantry is just that, you know, looking at how we all came together as a melting pot in the barracks. You've got white white dude like myself trailer trash from northern minnesota you got a black dude from lynchburg virginia a mexican dude <laughs> you know that um you know from guadalajara and we're all together sharing one culture together and that's 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 the the military culture and then we'll bag on each other's cultures you know just <laughs> absolutely terrible things to each other but because it doesn't matter because we're part of one culture at that point, and all that matters is that hey, you got my back, I got yours. There's no offense because we know that at the end of the day, we'll sacrifice ourselves for each other. So that's that's the part of the military culture I think I love the most is that sense of brotherhood, sisterhood, um, and that camaraderie that we experience just for that one culture that we all share, despite uh, the cultural traditions we all come from. Absolutely, Lisa, you have a thought? Yeah, I do, and. Um, it kind of dovetails into the end of what Brady was saying is, um, so as he was talking about the MPs and as he was talking about the, the radio operators, I'm thinking, you know, it's really important that you are deliberate in which tribes you join. 
Um, I like to say to clients, you are a cross section of the five people you're closest to. And if you look around and you're like, these are a bunch of jerks, then chances are you're, you're heading that direction if you're not already there. Right. Um, so, you know, you need to be deliberate when not just who you hang out with, but who you consider part of your tribe, but taking this into the business world, because that's what I do during my day job is one of the things that our military veterans associations, every company has some sort of veteran ERG. The acronym is, um, employee resource group. It's kind of the subculture within the company. And so you usually have one, you have your enable group, which is usually your disabled people within the organization. You might have African-Americans, Asian-Americans, but there's always a veterans group. And one of my calls to actions when I talk to that veteran subculture is to take exactly what Brady was saying at the end. Like I can say the most horrible things to my military friends, especially my buddies who were wounded in action and not to be off color. This is as common of a story as I can make it. But one of my jujitsu buddies, he was burned up really bad in a helicopter crash, uh, Navy SEAL. And we were training Nogi. His skin is rough and awful and terrible. And so we're rolling one day and I start laughing. I'm like, I love doing Nogi with you because when I grab your arms, my hands don't slide off because he's got, I mean, he's got, you can get good grips on his arms. And between me and him, that was like this awesome moment that we shared. But between everybody else in the room, they're like, oh my God, like you could hear crickets because that was horrible. You can't actually tell the guy who's, you know, 70% of his body is burned that he's burned and scarred. But we were comfortable with that. So when I talk to these veteran ERGs, I say, we need to bring this part of our military culture back into society where it's okay to say um, to my son, hey, you, are you talking about the black running back or the white running back when we're talking about um, post football game? Like he knows he's black. I know he's black. Why can't we just say it? We don't have to duck around it. So I think part of the military culture and um, I'm using your platform for my call to action is us as formal former military or current military need to re-engage society and be like, hey, listen, let's call a spade a spade because it's okay. It's okay to be black. It's okay to be white. It's okay to be a ginger. It's okay to be a Scorpio. Like there's reasons those tribes and those cultures exist. So let's let's call them out when, they, when they're visible. Absolutely. Dutch, you got any uh, points to add? Those, those are called uh, adjectives. What do we forget? How to use adjectives? You're exactly right, Lisa. Hats off. Hats off all the way. And I, I, I wish I took notes during most of the the stuff that Brady was talking about earlier. And Sean too. You know, Brady, you got back to, uh, you were talking about you know all the dudes in the team. You know, you could talk any way you want because because you know why? Because the name on the back is not as important as the name on the front. That's it. And Lisa, with the thick skin, can we not have? Can we not be tougher, smarter, harder people, please? You know, if 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 we're talking about culture or traditionalism, uh, what was the, what? Where is the culture and traditionalism of I'm a waif and everything you say to me offends me? Uh, what ever happened to sticks and stones can break my bones, but name you know names can't hurt me. Um, yeah, we need to get get the. To get back to some of that, man. So thanks for uh, uh, fellas. Absolutely. Sean, you got any points? 
Dutch. Did you say waif as in W-A-I-F? Because that's a freaking cracker word. But I don't know if it means something. If it's an <laughs> whoa, acronym. Whoa, whoa. I, well, you I, call well, you call me a cracker? Yeah, no, it's that was a cracking <laughs> statement. Cracking. Um, so uh, waif. maybe waif is an acronym for something. But in my day, waif was a someone who was thin and a bit feeble. Yes. and Right? Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. good. We're, we're not acronyming each other. Good. So um, I, I like that idea. Uh, but here's the trick. Here's the trick. Uh, whatever tribes we're all in today, right now, this moment, it's our job to take our tribes and introduce them to other tribes or introduce them to the person in front of us. And so uh, Lisa stated it, and, and I think we'll all agree that part of our for the rest of our life, part of our job is to make things better around us. And whether that's through our leadership skills or through our life experiences or through just knowing a dude who knows a dude and you can push that dude on to go talk to him or talk to her. She or he is in another tribe, but I got your back and you just got the ability to cold call them. So, you know, that's that's what we are supposed to do is we're supposed to connect ourselves to others and connect others to others in this little moment called the social media phenomenon. And uh, it's, it's kind of what we're trying to do over here on The Collective is gather like-minded people, but not identical-minded people. My only directive to chance when, when I say, go get guests, go get cool guests, go get mega guests, is make sure they're cool. So first you gotta be cool. And then second, you've got to have some world experience behind you. You know, don't ever think about coming on the show if you're one-dimensional. You'll get bounced. It'll actually suck for you. <laughs> you got to show up with some chops. You got to show up with some background behind you where you can hold your space at the seat at the table and maybe not be overly confident, but definitely don't be underconfident. Like you deserve to be here if you're here. And so in that process of bringing cool people together that are not identically thinking about things we're trying to expand our footprint of not just wisdom but cross-referencing each other's minds and and learning something in the hour that we spend together so i want to use lisa as an example if uh, well too bad lisa i'm going to use you anyway i was going to say if you don't mind but uh, here you are you're muted screw you uh so i'd like to use lisa as an example because she, as Brady stated, within the military, there's a whole bunch of levels, a whole bunch of tribes, a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of things. And uh, you'll never understand that unless you've served. So now that I'm going to sweep all of that out of the way, just believe me that there's levels within the game of the tribe called the military. Lisa was all up against it. I mean, she was up against it. If, uh, as Lisa stated at the start, she was uh, at her age, which I'm not ageism in her, uh, through that ageism, it's just a note, a notable moment for any person, man or woman, at that age to like think, oh, I'm going to step into Ranger. Uh, that should be easy. And so, um, and as a woman, one of the first three will say, um, that's, that's double down hard. And it doesn't matter whether Lisa believes it or not that all eyes are on her. I'm sure she felt it, but I can fucking guarantee that all eyes are on her. We all know that. There would have been laser beams on her every single second of every single day throughout that program. 
And if it wasn't her peers on the course that were either flourishing or not, or whether it was the directing staff that were hoping she failed or didn't hope she failed, none of that's important. The fact remains that there was additional pressure on her through the eyeballs. And so she would have been very tightly observed to make sure that she met the standard. And so I, I just came off of a Building the Elite podcast. In part two, uh, Craig had asked me in a rapid fire question right at the end. He was, he was banging out rapid fire questions, turned it into a game. It was fun. But he hit me with a quick question. This was a question from um, um, uh, commenters who'd sent in questions to Craig to ask me. And he quickly asked me the question of, um, for women who want to get into special operations, how should they train? And I didn't even blink. I just said, like men. Because it, it, it ain't about the man or the woman. It's about the, the freaking standard. You meet the standard as a bare minimum. There's only a, one other stage beyond that, and that's exceed the standard. Because there's nothing called below the standard or freaking move along to another tribe. And that's the case for Lisa. She had to meet the bare bones minimum standard at an absolute, like, go home unless you're meeting the standard. So Lisa didn't go home. She was either meeting or exceeding the standard. And that's all that I care about for the person who stands in front of me. But for Lisa, she had to care about meeting the standard. And also, I'm going to say it, she was representing. She was representing a whole pile of other women who are maybe considering walking in her footsteps weeks, months, years later. That's an additional pressure within tribalism, I feel. So Lisa, since you're here, and since you've probably got an opinion, uh, I'd like to hear what your thoughts on that are. You know, I actually have a fairly simple answer. You know, the funny thing was, is um, here's a, a shameless plug for my book that's actually called Delete the Adjective. And it's exactly about that. So um, I love to talk about, um, you know, the, the mythical male bond, right? Everybody thinks that women are going to invade and suddenly like the men aren't going to get to be men and we're going to emasculate them and we're going to steal that community. The problem with that thought process is I want to join the existing tribe. I don't want to change that tribe. Yeah, you know, it would have been nice for the sake of my husband and everyone else if a few things were toned down. But as a whole, like, I, I don't care where you pee. I don't care where you poop. I don't care how you sleep. I don't care who you sleep with. Like, I don't care of any of that. What I care about is I am a hunter. I am a fisherwoman. I've, I've been fishing for as long as I remember. I remember painting my toenails and sticking them in the water as a three-year-old girl thinking that those would help attract fish. Like that was my thought process at three. So this is the type of girl who's joining the community or wants to join the community. Not one that gets pedicures, but one that paints her toenails because she wants to catch more fish. So um, thank you for all of that, Sean. I mean, but one of the things I, I can say too is the men that were around me quickly deleted the adjective. The only thing they cared about, as Dutch keeps saying, they didn't care what was on the right chest pocket. They cared what was on the left chest pocket. And we all had U.S. Army. So as soon as I could rock the same weight as them, as soon as I could do my dead hang pull-ups, run the same pace, keep up, 
um, carry the gear, shoot, move, communicate, do all that. That's all that mattered. And it was everybody outside the tribe that cared. And it was the extended tribe that just didn't get to see me. And um, that was the whole point behind delete the adjective. That's that's my best summation of, of that experience. I'm not trying to change your tribe. I'm trying to be part of it and maybe make it a little bit better if I can. I love that. Now I have one major question that I'm sure everybody, not only on the panel, but at home is wondering, did the toenails help? They did not, shockingly enough. But because I was sitting on the edge of the boat, my dad did catch me with a fishing lure and I have a scar that's about this big which fast forward to ranger school when I had to shave my head, it did help me get some street cred. So fishing as a whole has been a positive in my life. There you go. I love that. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting. I, I, I'm going to run a little bit long here today, if you guys are okay with that, because I have a really good, great question that touches on what we were just talking about, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Um, Tanya asked this a bit earlier. She says, OMG, Lisa Jaster, what are some instances where you have tried to push the military culture and what was the reaction? The joke example is Sean's Radmaster 9000 hat config during a military event. So for you guys that don't know, back when Sean was young, unless you want to tell this, Sean, or do you want me to? Okay, so when he was young and a brand new dude in uh, the Canadian military, he was in Cyprus. He was at a shooting event, like an international shooting event, and he was wearing the blue UN ball cap at the time. But the brim is challenging to shoot with when you're looking down iron sights or optics. So he flipped it around right before the uh, rundown and then he took off running. So that's what she's referring to there where <clears throat> his chain of command did not like the fact that he flipped his hat around. So the, the question carries on. But they did like the fact that I won. So, True. you know, like you it's go. a struggle within the tribe. <laughs> is Sean a jerk or is Sean a winner? You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're going to push tradition, you better win. That's right. <laughs> I think the lesson there, but here's the question I wanted to talk to you or get your guys' opinion on is how to modify problematic traditions. So they have benefits, but make sense in current cultural context. Hazing, as an example, has its benefits, I imagine, but needs an update for today. So I have a quick story on this, and I want to get your thoughts on it. When I first got into my unit at the Engineer Regiment, we had this thing called the Great Escape. And what we would do was you'd be hanging out in the bay, you'd get kind of jumped by the rest of the troop, you'd get taped to a chair, and then you would be put inside one of the store's lockers. Store's locker would be locked, and the key would be put in the middle of the room. It was your job as a combat engineer to be, A, have the right equipment on you, like a knife, so that you can cut your way out, and then be able to use the stores inside the cage to get the key and unlock yourself. Now, it was all fun, right? Lots of games. People were calling you names while you were doing it. They were turning the lights on and off. There was all kinds of extra stuff that they were doing. But we had one particular soldier that... Uh, we tried to do this to he pulled out a box cutter and started like trying to defend himself and then ran off and told the chain of command and we got uh, uh talked to about hazing and so there are i mean technically it is hazing it was a rite of passage it was a thing that we were doing right so 100 percent, he was correct but what i want to know is how you guys deal with these traditions that are seemingly innocuous maybe don't have a place anymore. What are you guys' thoughts, Brady? You're muted there, Brady. All right, so if you look at if you look at at hazing in in what it's designed to do, right? Um 
and this and this isn't giving excuse to hazing because there's there's hazing where it's absolutely um, undignified, uh, where it takes dignity away from people, and it 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 makes them just absolutely just it reduces their morale. When you take away someone's dignity um, and the morale, then that's a problem with hazing. But oftentimes, you look at hazing; it's an indoctrination into your tribe. What tribe are you in? Right. If you look at uh, people get their jump wings or get their recon pins or whatever it is, that's called a blood pin. Right. When you get um, when you pick up corporal in the Marine Corps, you get your blood stripe. You get the blood stripe on the blue pants and the indoctrination into that um, that that NCO um, club is a nice knee right to the side of your leg, right in that thigh. And at the end of the day, you're barely walking. You got bruises all over the place. It's this indoctrination into the club, into the tribe. But uh, oftentimes, you see hazing. It, it can be useful if it's if it's if it's structured in a way um, that is welcoming with a person. Like, hey, welcome to the club. Um, this is fun. This is a morale morale improver, um, and you're not stripping them of their dignity. Um, but it's it's like you're in, you're in our tribe now. It, it's almost like a like a test. How can you handle this uh, indoctrination? Are you going to be one of us? What's your personality like? And that's why they do screenings now. That's why they do you know uh, indocs and and go okay. What's your personality? What's your work ethic? Things like that. Can you handle it? And so I think if we take hazing and make it more structured, more refined, and more um, um, relative as well as teachable, um, I think at that point it, it moves away from, from hazing and, and actual um, indoctrination. So, um, you know, it's not like, you know, we're getting uh, beat down into a gang or anything like that, you know, but if you're, if you're, if you're stripping a guy down or a girl down into their, you know, underwear and, and stripping and, and, and make him do things that strip them of their dignity, and and strip them of of their humanity then that's a that's a serious that's a serious problem and i've and and we've seen that happen in the military we've seen that happen in certain clubs and groups where they think they are like oh it's the ultimate test where it really is they just didn't want that person to be there and they're trying to get them to quit um and that's a problem that's a problem absolutely <clears throat> dutch what are your thoughts <laughs> i know put you on the spot no, you didn't. I've been thinking, but some of the problem with some of these discussions is like I want to jump in right now before you continue because uh, just because I want it to be fresh. Tanya, hazing is an example. Has its benefits? Yes, it does. Does it need an update? No, it doesn't. Um, again, th these are my opinions, so it doesn't matter. Uh, hazing is a huge part of it. Sh can be, should be a huge part of a lot of things. Uh, the problem is, as Brady just said, so here's, here's part of the problem. When you said um, you have to know or you can't strip a man's dignity, here's the problem. You'll, you're never going to know. A or Z, you're not going to know that. And the, the indox, never enough. The, the psychological this or that or the other, never enough. Um, I, you know, the, I love the, the uh, blood wings. Dude, I, airborne, blood wings, recon. Uh, a friend of mine did a recon and got his his chest was completely covered in blood. They don't do any of that anymore. 
none of that. I bet your your thing in the knee that or the sorry the the leg and that and that that awesome nerve on the outside, which I'm not a doctor, I don't know what it is, but they, they don't. I'm sure they don't do that anymore. Um, Behind closed Ranger, doors. Well, I hope so. Ranger hazing. You know, anybody got promoted. You know, all the sergeants lined up in the company. There's 120 men in the company, but you know, there's not 120 sergeants. But everybody who was over the rank of you was punching your your rank into your into your chest with the two pins. They don't even have those anymore, right? They have patches now. Um, there, there are so many things that I certainly think can be included, should be included. Uh, you know, stripping away someone's dignity. That's what that's what Ranger School is about. That's what the beginning of Ranger School should be. You, because we we're we want to weed out those people who don't want to be here. SFAS, whatever selection program you want it to be, buds, the beginning, the hell weeks, whatever, uh, whatever, wherever you want it to be, doesn't doesn't even matter. Those are hazing to a degree, but they're also controlled in some sort of manner, right? And but but sure, someone's yelling at you. I remember the guy in Ranger School, you know, constantly yelling at us, right? Do you want to get on the truck, mate? All you need, all you want hot coffee, all you got to do is quit, mate. So his hazing was different, right? It was verbal ridiculousness. But there's always some sort of abuse out there. And it, it, it you know, it's uh, what did, what did uh, Mark Twain say? Sports and things like this, like this hazing, uh, they don't build character. They reveal the character. So how hard is that training camp? How hard is that selection? How hard is that moment where you're getting your your behind handed to you constantly? Uh, and, you know, so, but I like the dignity part. This should be supervised in some sort of way. Uh, you can't have people run amok and have people in uh, maybe your class dress A uniforms and then with a gas mask on uh, and doing, you know, burpees until they pass out and vomit in their own mask and all of a sudden they're dead. You can't have the code red thing. You can't, you can't, you, but when we say we can't do these things, they're still going to be abused. And then, so that's what happens when somebody says, well, you know, we can't do this for the lowest common denominator. This has to be eliminated. So that's the trouble with people getting their nose in like that. And that's the trouble to me when it comes to a free society, right? We live in, uh, in America. We used to, sometimes we still do live in a dangerous Republic. It's, you know, there are people that are allowed to do things that, that Guess what? Freedom still allows stupid people to do stupid things. Uh, but for the most part, of course, that, that stupidity is, doesn't happen. I remember when I got hazed as a ranger, I constantly had to do physical stuff, but I got asked ranger history questions. Uh, not in ranger school, mind you. This was ranger battalion. Uh, so, you know, and but once you answered a whole bunch of them, Somebody said, mm, you come with me because you're smarter than the other guys or stop doing what you're doing. You know, so there was a, there was an air of responsibility there. And it wasn't a you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a moment where we were you know being ripped of our dignity. Uh, but again, one man's uh, one man's ripped of dignity is another guy's just tough action. So it's, it's really hard to negotiate some of that, uh, you know, from a, from a command perspective. Absolutely. Lisa, well what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I do want to say that I've gone to Ranger school. I don't call myself a Ranger because I was not in Ranger Battalion. So um, just clarifying for anyone listening that being at Ranger Battalion is a whole nother level. Um, and and so there, there's two major points I want to make. And the first one would be, um, you know, Simon Sinek's Start With Why, great leadership book. 
but why are these things happening? Whether you're talking about hazing or anything else, if you can't figure out the why, then don't do it. Um, and sometimes it is an actual weeding out process. And that brings me to my second book reference. And I, I don't know who the author is, but it's called When Violence is the Answer. And when you join the military, and I'm using the military because it's easy for this group, but when you join the military, your job, and I don't care if you're an admin specialist, you're a postal clerk, you are part of the weapon that is fighting our nation's wars. So if you don't have it in your mind that you need to be hard as woodpecker lips, and at some point in time, somebody might be on the dangerous end of your gun or sword, then you're in the wrong profession. So if you feel like some of those activities that are making you better at that, calling cadences that are lewd, a lot of times those are normalizing things that could get you killed. So as a female in a uh, predominantly male environment, so I've worked oil and gas, I've worked offshore, I work construction, my master's is in civil structural, I have been the token female in more rooms than just this one. And the army had to work on desensitizing me to my femininity because my femininity can be used as a weapon against me. So when you have women who come into, say, the military and they get sensitive about some of those things, sometimes it's appropriate. It should never be demeaning. It should never make you feel unsafe. Got it. But you do need to be desensitized. Otherwise, I don't know how I could have run convoys in Kandahar, Afghanistan. I don't know how I could have done what I did in Iraq in all of my tours. So, so it starts with the why. You've got to know why. But then you also have to understand that your enemy's comfort with violence is not the same as your comfort with violence. So in a military environment, that means we do have to push that button. I do have to be starving and exhausted and feel a little isolated to be the best version of myself in soldiering. So that's, that's just within the military. Now in corporate America, there is actually an equivalent of that. And that's where I was saying earlier that we as veterans need to come in and make our general population comfortable once again with saying, hey, you're different than me. Because one of the biggest problems in corporate America, and, and this is my last soapbox, I swear, one of the biggest problems in corporate America, but we're hiring for diversity and then telling people they can't talk about diversity. What the hell are we doing? If I hire a female executive, it's because either she was the most qualified for the job or she's bringing cognitive and experiential, not physical, I don't care what she looks like, cognitive and experiential diversity into the room. If I don't leverage that, I'm leaving money on the table and I'm not building the community I need to build. Okay, end rant. Bam, Sean. You I want drop. to follow that one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. I, I don't mind a little ranty McRant. In fact, I might even jump onto a little bit of soapbox myself. So uh, to Lisa's point, I, I can not un completely understand her perspective, but I can view it through the lens of my wife, who has been a mechanical engineer for over 20 years, a, a project manager, and uh, works in a large engineering firm and looks after many people around the world and et cetera, et cetera. And freaking guess what? She's retiring in two days. Yes. And uh, so throughout her entire career, as you just described, Lisa, um, it's difficult for women in that role, in that meeting space when you're the only woman in it and you're probably the youngest person in the room. And it's a bunch of old white guys uh, that are surrounding 
you as a young female engineer. At least it was for my wife when she first started out. And so that would be an entirely different conversation that I'd love to chew on another time. But I'm going to get back to uh, the hazing piece, which is, I think, important. Because you know what hazing does? It tests your conviction. Your resolve. That's what hazing is for. It tests your resolve. And, uh, and I think that hazing, to some degree, like... Okay, we've everyone's already said it, and I'm not going to categorically restate it's got to be safe and blah 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 and all that good stuff. Like, for I'm just going to move on from that and say that hazing is important in all aspects of society when you're stepping into something new that you absolutely don't understand, but you're now representing that tribe on day one, like freaking day one. You're in it, baby. You're in the game, and and you don't get like a warm up period, like. Yeah, you're in the tribe and, you know, you, you get in it, you get a full month to figure out what's going on here. No, figure it out now. You can't. We're going to help you figure it out through a little bit of hazing. Now I'm throwing that around casually, I know. But what hazing should do should test your conviction. And what, when you're being tested, you know what it should do is leave a freaking mark. So now I'm going to example that exhibit A. If you can see those pins, that's what you bleed from when someone punches that into your chest or when that big ham hock fist comes at you with those pins which then gets punched into another piece of your chest u.s army and u.s marine corps jump wings just sitting there on my cork board i got a few more and all of those things left marks on me not like a big goofy patch that i sewed on and forgot about it's supposed to leave a mark permanently burned into your brain in the sense of not only did I earn that, but now I'm part of that. And you'll never forget it. The mark never goes away. That's what good hazing does. I, I love the fact that he smoked me as hard as he could. And I, it's not that I sneered at him, but I gave him a little bit of attitude back because I freaking love that stuff, man, because I'm in the game. So there's a difference between being hazed a tiny bit on a parade square as you get smoked and standing out front of McDonald's because you've got a furry outfit on and someone looked at you a bit disrespectfully. And now you're being hazed because you're a furry. Well, there's a wild difference between being a furry and feeling uncomfortable and being smoked in the chest by a big Marine and saying, who ya? They're, they're worlds apart. And I think that somehow as a society, we conflate our weird ideas about how hard it is to be a furry versus how hard it is to like stand straight as you're being smoked. So I'd just like to add some clarity or maybe some levels to the game on what hazing means. Hazing isn't a universal term that has the same intensity applied in every single circumstance for the rest of your life. You're supposed to bump into hazing from time to time to check your conviction, to make sure that you're properly calibrated. Because if you don't like what you're getting, if you don't like getting smoked in the chest, move along, go find another hobby, go find another trajectory, find another career, find the right thing for you. Maybe one day you'll be standing in front of McDonald's wearing a, a rabbit hat or whatever and acting out your, your fantasy. But the fantasy that I'm in is called reality, where I pressure test myself on the daily not just through my own actions, but through the people that are surrounded by me, just like this panel today, keeping it real, keeping me on my toes, 
freaking smoking me in the chest and I'm looking down for the blood that uh, is being dripped right now in this conversation. That's what we're supposed to do is test ourselves against other people who've been tested so that we can understand where we are in the game called hazing. Bam. Brady, I'll come to you in a second. I'm we are we're running quite a bit over time, so I'm going to I'm going to shut her down for the day. But I'm going to come to you first, Brady. I'm going to give you the chance to uh <clears throat> I know Sean's pronunciation of who you are probably it's just like scratched your brain the wrong way. <laughs> but who ya? Who ya? Whatever you want to do. Yeah, uh, so, Brady, let's get some final thoughts. You can uh, properly discuss with Sean what the correct way to do that is. <laughs> Go ahead, final thoughts. Well, there's a very derogatory way of explaining the difference between who ya and ura. Ura is what the Marines say, who ya is what the Army says, but with a in your mouth. That's what was the. <laughs> That's what they uh, said. But when it comes to hazing, um, if we look at the culture of hazing within the military versus culture of hazing in different places, like, say, college, for us, it's, it's, it's a necessary practice to figure out who's going to hang with you when it comes time to go into combat, who's ready, who's resilient, because that's what the military is. You, you have to be mentally resilient, mentally resistant to all things, like uh, Lisa was saying and, and Dutch was saying. It has its purpose, and it needs to stay within I remember, do you guys remember that 2020 special probably about 30 years ago where, you know, someone had undercover cameras, recon dudes doing jump kicks, kicking wings into people and stuff like that. So there's. a <laughs> Great video. I remember my old man going. What's wrong with that? He was in the army himself, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, it, it has its use in the military and, and we understand it culturally, endemically, why it has its use as the military versus you got mothers of America who look at that and go, oh, my God, my poor sweet boy bled. And it's like, well, he's with his buddies and he bleeds now or he bleeds later. It's up to you, you know. And so it's funny to look at cultures on the outside anthropologically and then culture on the inside as we see it and have someone tell us, well, that's wrong. It's like. Well, you may see it as wrong, but we see it as necessary practice to ensure that the people that we're with can handle uh, what's about to come. Absolutely. Dutch, I'm going to come to you. Final thoughts? You're muted, though, but hold on. You think you hit the button extra. I hit it like three times, uh, idiots, right? So, hey, thanks again for letting me come on and uh, talk like this. But it was somebody who looked just like me on a, on a podcast that looked just like this just the other day said to be uh, one of the best advices, best pieces of advice I ever got in my entire life was to be, to learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable places and uncomfortable positions. And that's, that's part of the hazing thing too. Right. And Oh, by the way, again, the biblical worldview, you know how hard it is to sharpen iron when we get together and, and we beat each other down. So we sharpen that iron. It's, it's a, it's a sweaty, hard muscle burning time to take a, a sword and to sharpen that iron. You're dirty, you're sweaty, you're tired. It's hard work and if you do it from a place of leadership and a place of love it works every time and if you get rid of the people that, that don't want to be there i love what you said about that brady go get another job look at the men at uvalde i hate bringing that plate that thing up but if you look at some of those videos there if you're if you're not willing to go down the hallway and engage the enemy to stop 
the enemy from doing bad things to innocent people, especially children, then you need to find another job. So, you know, it's, it's it, if you're in the clothing manufacturing business, as one of my great friends is, you know, she says all the time, hey, hey, look, we're not saving lives. We're just making clothes. So settle down. But if you're in that job position where you need to be, man, it, it's difficult stuff to do. And if you are in a position where you need to, you're going to face the enemy sometime. You're going to, you know, you're going to be in close quarter battle with with people on the on the street, wherever that might be. You, know, you go through hard stuff then. It works. Absolutely. Lisa, some final thoughts? Yeah, I think my final thoughts specifically about cultural traditions is we have to assume the best in people. And when you see somebody who is adopting your culture, think about the fact that they're giving you the world's best compliment, which is mimicking your behaviors. Um, and then the second thing I'm going to say about that is be really deliberate about your tribe. Do not waste your time and energy on the wrong group of people. Um, and spreading my tribe. I mean, I met four new people today, four people that I'm now following on Instagram, four people that I'm going to reach out to in LinkedIn, four people that are going to be part of my group so that I'm not shouting down an echo chamber every time I holler. So thank you so much for the opportunity to meet these uh, awesome people. Appreciate you guys. Absolutely. No problem, Sean. Some final thoughts? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think... You know, as as uh, as a collective right now today, anyway, we've covered a lot of material, and uh, I just want to pick up what Dutch threw down there in reference to this sword. So, and and he mentioned Ivaldi, and I know we don't we try not to talk about specifics like that uh, too much because it it instantly draws a divisive line. But I'm gonna like um, step above that divisive line and look at this the that topic from a satellite view, and it's quite simple. Um, you can be handed a sword and feel like it's yours, or you can forge a sword and know that it's yours. There's a wild difference. As Dutch said, the guys who didn't deal with that situation righteously, they were given swords. They never freaking earned them to a degree where they felt that they were so responsible to use it that they just forged ahead and started using them. When you earn something, you can use it. When you're given something, you don't know when to use it. That's my thoughts on Vivaldi. So to build that out a little bit more, I would suggest this, that if you're in the game, our game, the game of serving your country, don't just Pick up a sword and think that you're a warrior. Start getting sweaty before you reach for that sword. And I think that you'll find you'll become uh, a more capable and productive member within this tribe. Yeah, 100%. The, uh, the real challenge, and I think that we've spent, we haven't spent enough time doing this, but uh, it is a calling. It's not just a job, whether it's law enforcement, EMS, you want to be a doctor, whatever it is, it is a calling to serve others. And in that calling, you have to put your own sensibilities, your own capabilities, your own self-preservation, you have to put it aside for others, period. <laughs> there, nothing else beyond that will get the job done to the level that it needs to be done. And 
everyone here that's experienced it, whether it's in Iraq, whether it's in the sands of Kandahar, whether it was at Nam, whether it was in Cyprus, where it doesn't matter where it was, it was because the person next to you was willing to do it. And the only reason you knew that was because you guys went through it together. And that is the key thing. So that's all I'm going to say on that one. And I really, really do appreciate the conversation, Lisa. It's been fantastic. Brady, thank you so much for the conversation. Dutch, always good hanging out with you. I, uh, I'm just going to end it with something very simple. Again, learn what it is to be a warrior, build upon it every day, and grow into the title. And you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo.